Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about Michael Servetus, or Servetus, however you want to say it. We might be calling him either name tonight. It doesn't really matter. We're going to be talking about his ideas of Trinity. Very famously, Michael Servetus was an individual who lived around the time of John Calvin. He also coincidentally died around the time of John Calvin because John Calvin killed him and the official charges were denying the Trinity. And so these, these official charges have stuck with him throughout all of history. And so you get individuals who misrepresent Michael Servetus and what he actually taught about Trinity. Really, this all boils down to the whole Arian controversy, the whole Michael Servetus, the whole Valentinians and their take on Trinity. All of these things, all of these disputes are all intra-Platonistic disputes about the nature of the Platonic One. All these disputes come to us because Christianity is a footnote to Plato, and everyone is sitting around in a circle arguing about Platonistic values. They say, oh, according to Plato, this is this, therefore this can't be true or this can't be true, and then they go ahead and kill one another over these things. Now, personally, I believe when John Calvin executed Servetus, Servetus's real crime was defiance towards John Calvin. He was a megalomaniac. And uh, so you have instances where there's people put on trial in Geneva for affirming a quadrinity, like there's four persons of the Godhead. And those people, they beg humbleness, and, and uh, Calvin makes them go through humiliation rites. Servetus was not that type of person. Uh, he was very egotistical himself and refused outright refused to humiliate himself in front of John Calvin. And to John Calvin, that is a mortal sin. That is the mortal sin, defiance to John Calvin, megalomaniac. And so John Calvin killed him. But the official charges was that he was denying the Trinity. So let's see if that actually is true. I got pulled up uh, a crew. This is like a campus organization for Christians. A crew website that defines what it means by affirming the Trinity. It says the doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Stated differently, God is one in essence and three in person. These definitions express three crucial truths. One, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God. There is only one God. Now there's nothing in here. There's no phrase here except for using the word Trinity that Servetus would disagree with. <laughs> you don't believe me? I got, I got quotes pulled up. I got his book pulled up, uh, his treatises on the Trinity. But here are a couple choice quotes. He says, I shall admit these three things. First, this man is Jesus Christ. Second, he is the Son of God. Third, he is God. And elsewhere he states, there is one Godhead in three persons, but not three beings. And so these are just the classic affirmations of Trinity doctrine. He did not like Trinity teaching because he saw that as, treating, as teaching a multiplicity within God. And remember, in Platonism, God is simple. God is one essence. God can't be divided. God can't have parts. And so a doctrine of the Trinity, although he's, he's stating everything here that classic Trinitarians affirm, uh, he's denying 
the, the trinity, the technical term, for the technical reason that it's creating a multiplicity in God. See, it's an intra-Platonistic dispute. So quite literally speaking, if the Servetus came to any Christian Bible study and started talking about his views about uh, Trinity, as long as he's not using the word Trinity, no one would be able to distinguish him from your average Trinitarian. Th this, is, this is a microcosm of a very technical Platonistic debate. A lot of times he's misrepresented. There was a podcast the other day that said, oh, he denied that uh, Jesus was God or that Jesus was the son of God. All those things are false. And it's this perception that he was executed for denying Trinity. And so our perception wrongly accuses him of denying very explicit things that he actually affirmed. And it doesn't help that his writings are fairly obscure. And the Calvinists have a near monopoly on this, the historical retelling of these events. But good thing that we have internet and mass media. We could actually look into these things ourselves. I would like to note that I'm not defending Servetus. I'm not saying that uh, his views on Trinity were correct or anything like that. But I do think that we should do some due diligence if we are representing his views to represent him accurately. So listen to this. I do not separate Christ from God more than a voice from the speaker or beam from the sun. Christ is the voice of the speaker. He and the Father are the same thing, as a beam and light are the same light. There is therefore a tremendous mystery in the fact that God may be united with man and man with God. It is a surprising wonder that God has taken for himself the body of Christ in order to make his special dwelling. Yeah, so it is... It, unless you're trying to nitpick, um, you, you might misunderstand him, but there's, there's nothing specifically anti-Trinitarian in these types of statements. Th this is who he views as, as God, as Christ, as, as the Holy Spirit, three persons in one being, one essence. So I have pulled up his two treatises of Servetus on the Trinity. So two treatises on the Trinity. And I would not, I would not recommend reading this. It's a very dry read. It's very technical. And unless you really, really care about this, these arguments in, in the intra-Platonistic disputes about the Trinity, it's not worth reading. I, I took the bullet for you. I did read Servetus and his beliefs, and I think I could accurately represent his beliefs. All we have to do is actually just read. Uh, his summary arguments, maybe that's worth doing because one good thing about all these ancient writers, even Calvin does this, he, they do like a summary at the beginning of any long series of texts or arguments, and they summarize all their points very uh, succinctly so that you could go through and you could see the main outline of their argument, and then you could jump to this certain subsections to see how they expand on those particular arguments. And so this is, this is a fantastic way to actually structure your arguments. And Calvin does this as well. Servetus does this. Uh, excellent, excellent for dispersing this type of information. It's, it's very much more indexed and uh, easy to follow along. And you could kind of skip the things that are, are really important. He spends a lot of time, Servetus, he spends a lot of time 
trying to prove like basic things that we should all be able to just agree to. Uh, number one, that Jesus was a man and that Christ refers to Jesus and that Christ is a man. And here's the thing. Who's he arguing against? Uh, the, the Trinitarians, the people like John Calvin, who hold an Augustinian view that man can't be God. And so man can't be God because man changes. And so God can't change. Therefore, the uniting with God has to be like this. There's a division between the human, Jesus, and the second person of the Trinity, Christ. And there's this mystical union, but the man can't be the God part and the God can't be the man part because they're different essences. And we already read what Servetus, how he views Jesus, that uh, Jesus is basically the light and God is the beam. And in that way, he states that man can be God because it's more of a secondary thing rather than affecting God's essential nature. God's oneness, God's uh, immutability, his changelessness, his simplicity. Servetus throughout this work refers to God's unity. And typically when he's talking about that, it sounds like he's talking about divine simplicity, classical notions of divine simplicity. He even at one point references Plato's ultimatum about change and change is a corrupting factor. And so this famous idea that whatever changes, changes either for the better or for the worse. And if God were to change, he can't change for the better because he has all perfections and he can only change for the worse. This is repeated in Servetus. It's repeated throughout the Christian world. This is a Platonic dictum straight from the Republic, Plato's The Republic. And uh, it's reverberated throughout history. All these arguments are a footnote to Plato. They're all Platonists. They all believe in the Platonic worldview. Uh, Surfeitus, he doesn't like this word hypostasis. And so he, he criticizes these ideas. And in his mind, a hypostasis is this co-joining of man to God which is saying the man part is God rather than Servetus' more nuanced view that it's like an effect of God and not God itself, not God's substance itself. So let's read his argument. Any discussion of the Trinity should start with the man. That Jesus, surnamed Christ. Now, Christ was, it wasn't a surname, but he might be using this in a loose sense that, that um, he's, he's kind of given this quasi-surname. He actually goes through and talks about Christ and how Christ just means anointed. And to argue against the Trinitarians, he points out that all their arguments would be absurd if you just use the word anointed instead of Christ in all their proof texts. And uh, he is correct there that Christ does mean anointed. There are other Christs within the Bible, like Cyrus was called a Christ. King David was a Christ. They are anointed for a specific task. But within the New Testament, Christ is referring to Jesus which is referring to the same person. They're both men. They're not different beings. They are both referring to man. And he's, he's very explicit on this point. That Jesus, surnamed Christ, was not a hypostasis, but a human being is taught both by the early fathers and in the scriptures. Taken in their literal sense and is indicated by the miracles that he wrought, he, and not the Word, is also the miraculously born Son of God in fleshly form. As the scriptures teach, not a hypostasis, but an actual Son. He doesn't like the word hypostasis. Hypostasis means not God. 
and he sees Jesus the Christ as God, as like a manifestation of God, as a person of God. He is God, sharing God's divinity in full, and the theory of communicado idimantium is a confusing, sophistical quibble. This does not imply two gods, but only a double use of the term God, as is clear from the Hebrew use of the term. Yeah, by the way, this entire work is very condescending. You could see his ego, his his emotions, and his uh, self-worth play out in just how he writes this text. It's it's very attacking. It's very, oh, my, my enemy is, is uh, stupid, and it's very arrogant. You could see why Calvin executed him for the crime of not giving Calvin his due respect, because he was very much egotistical. Christ, being one with God the Father, equal in power, came down from heaven and assumed flesh as man. In short, all the scriptures speak of Christ as a man. And this is, this is what he tries to prove throughout. Christ is a man. And yeah, that's, that's how the Bible uses the term. He, he's not wrong there. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit as a third separate being lands us in practical tritheism no better than atheism. So his quibble here is that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God are not three beings. They're three persons in one God. To have three beings is tritheism, it's, and he calls that atheism. And so, so that's his main contention, that once you start worshiping these multiple deities, you don't have theism anymore. And he readily admits it here. Here he says right here, even though the unity of God be insisted on. He basically says that all my opponents, they insist that God is one being. But really, when you look at their arguments, it's three beings. And so it's tritheism. It's, it's atheism. Uh, they, they undo who God is. But they themselves don't admit it. If only they looked at my arguments as to why they are engaging in tritheism, then they would see that they're no better than atheists. That's his argument. So try to detect any differentiation between Servetus's beliefs and those of Calvin or normal Trinitarians. The, the differences are very minor and very petty. It's a lot of equivocation, a lot of wordplay in order to create false distinctions. But it is very interesting that he points out the, the use of hypostasis as a way to claim that the human part of Jesus is not God, which he rejects. And yeah, that, that serves as a pretty bad problem for normal hypostatic union, union Trinitarianism that the human part of Jesus is not God and vice versa. They say Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, but the 100% man part is not the 100% God part. 100% God part is not the 100% man part. They're two separate parts, but there's some sort of mystical union, this hypostasis, as Servetus points out. We're going to scroll down to a synopsis where he outlines his chapters, and we're just kind of read through one of these. This discussion of the Trinity will begin not with the Word, as usually done, but with the man Christ. Three points will be discussed. First point, Christ was named Jesus, as is shown by many texts of the scriptures. Early writers teach that Christ was a man, as do various scripture texts. The nouns and pronouns referring to him imply this. The language used of him is to be taken in its plain sense. That he was a man is further shown by his relation to others. 
think about what kind of people he's interacting with where he has to actually prove these points. It's pretty self-evident that, that yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. And he just goes through text after text. It's, it seems like a huge laundry list of proof texts in order to prove this one point, which should be fairly self-evident. That he was a man is further shown by his relation to others, while his miracles prove that Jesus was the Christ. Second point, Christ is the Son of God. Many scriptural texts, many scripture texts referring to his supernatural birth prove this. Christ was begotten by the Word and was an actual man in the flesh. Now, the Word in his idea is Jesus. So the Word is Jesus, and the Word becomes flesh, and the Word is eternal with God, and, and the Word is God. He writes, it cannot be argued that there were two sons. Other passages of scripture prove that Jesus himself was the son of God and that no hypostasis is implied. Christ is a true son of God by nature. Others are sons only by adoption. You know, we get adopted into, but Christ, because he's begotten of the word, is an actual son, is his idea there. He is son and God is father in a higher sense than, in use, than is used in men. Third point. Christ is God, as the scriptures clearly prove. Now, this is a lot of times what people uh, deny to Servetus. They say, oh, he didn't think that Christ was God. He says, Christ is God, and Christ he equates with Jesus. So he thinks Jesus is God, as the scriptures clearly prove. The common doctrine of a communicado idiomatium is a sophistical invention inconsistent with scripture. God shares his full deity with Christ but does not share any imperfections of man. Remember, in Servetus's mind, Platonism is true. God is uh, simple, immutable, impassable. Uh, he criticizes some doctrines of the Trinity for thinking that God suffers. God's essence suffers. He rejects that. God is the Platonistic one, and he actually uses the one as a term relating to God and it very well could be a reference to Plato or Neoplatonism when he calls God the One. It's, it's very interesting. So th th these are Platonists. Calvin's a Platonist. Servetus is a Platonist. Arians are Platonists. Everyone's Platonists. They're all Platonists, and they're arguing for their specific brand, their specific label of Trinitarianism, and his is Trinitarian rejecting that term. He says, God shares, I'm just going to read this again, God shares his full deity with Christ, but does not share any imperfections of man. What has been said does not imply more than one God, but only a different use of the word. God in scripture plainly shows God and Christ as distinct beings. The texts cited are not invalidated because heretics have misused them. The word God must be interpreted in light of its Hebrew equivalent. The nature of Christ's deity is seen from the Old Testament use of the word Elohim for beings less than the supreme God. Christ is one with God the Father, not a second God. Christ came down from heaven as the word of God, sent as a man who put on flesh. Though humble in form, Christ was made equal to God. This was equality in power, not nature or essence. So this is, this is how this unity, this one works. And so God is the one, uh, it, eternally simple, immutable, impassable. And there's an outpouring of his activity, which is the word, which is eternal with God. And that eternal outpouring of God's activity becomes flesh, becomes man. So it's not God essence that we're talking about because God essence is simple and immutable and doesn't change. 
but it is a manifestation of God. And that's how he actually uses the term person. When there's persons of the Godhead, they're just outward manifestations of a single entity, the unchanging one. That's who God is. Christ came down from heaven as the word of God, sent as a man who put on flesh. Though humble in form, Christ was made equal to God. This was equality in power, not in nature or essence. It was not robbery, for he bore the humble form of a man. The Psalms do not show that the equality of Christ's nature with God's. In fine, all scripture speaks of Christ the man. Philosophers make the Holy Spirit to be a third being, and this leads to a plurality of gods. Thus we become triturites and atheists, although they affirm the unity of God. The word spirit is variously used in scripture. Certain proof texts for the Trinity refer not to the oneness of nature, but to harmony and mind and will. It is oneness, not of nature, but of power. Christ's own words show that there is not a oneness of nature. The Father, the Word, and the Spirit agree in bearing testimony to Christ. The belief that Jesus was the Son of God is the foundation of the church. The text of Romans 11.36 does not refer to the three persons, nor can they be inferred from the numerals in the parable. Many passages of the scriptures emphasize God and Christ while ignoring the third person. The threefoldness in God, sometimes inferred from Exodus 3.6, is to be explained not as three separate beings, but as dis distribution of functions. So we're going to skip through that argument. A lot of that's uh, technical, but look at how he talks here. here here's where he, he starts this out and says, I admit three things. First, this man is Jesus Christ. Second, he's the son of God. Third, he's God. And he makes a case that uh, there's no such thing as this uh, second hypostasis. There, there's no hypostatic union that Jesus is God. And in the sense that he's the outpouring or person or vision of God, but not in his essence. It, it's a function of God, just like the Holy Spirit. And he kind of says that they're beings, he kind of says that they're persons, but they're not separate beings, and they're not beings in this divisible sense of the word. He quotes things like, uh, there's, there's a man, a mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, proving that Jesus and Christ, both terms refer to a man, not one part man, one part God. Yes, he's absolutely right there. So let's look at this criticism he has on normal hypostatic union Trinitarianism. He says, let those therefore beware who endeavor to disparage him so much, this is Jesus, so much that they would have his human nature called only, as it were, a sort of inferior being. The people who say that the man part is not God, and so it's just kind of this inferior being that's attached to God. He says, as it were, a sort of inferior being, and make him out so much more imperfect because they not only deny that he is their Lord, but deny that he was anointed by the God, King of the Jews, deny that he's a reconciler, a mediator, why even rob him of what belongs to his nature, denying that he is the son of Mary, and finally, deny that he is a man. So all these things, all these accusations against a hypostatic union, that they don't actually believe that Jesus was God. And that's his accusation. He says, I believe Jesus was God. You guys don't. And you guys self-admit it, it can't be God because it changes and it's, it's a man and you, you deny that men can be divine. It can be divine in my system, but 
but it can't be divine in your system. Therefore, you are denying Christ. <laughs> so it sounds very much like uh, like what Servetus argued at his trial, that Calvin was the true heretic denying Christ. So scrolling down, let's listen to how he talks about God. But man gives God no quality de novo. He doesn't give any new qualities to God. For what can man bestow upon God de novo? He's saying that God can't actually receive any new things to himself. Remember, God is pure simplicity. He doesn't have parts. You can't increase him because that would be problematic. Either this quality is a thing trifling or and indifferent, or it is perfection, and thus God would have lacked this perfection before. Or it is imperfection, and thus you'll say that a sort of imperfection is now suitable for God. And these are shocking things to say. He's like, this Platonic dictum that what changes, changes for the better or for the worse. He's saying that it is very shocking to deny this. It, there, it's self-manifestly true. Moreover, the fact that God gives something to man is not a detriment to God, but an honor to man, nor is the change in God, but in man. And so Jesus, the man, Jesus Christ, the man, was given uh, the Godhead, was given, exalted, brought high, and given deity. Uh, these things were given to him because he is a function or outpouring of God's creative activity and therefore shares with the Godhead, though is not the Godhead, which is pure simplicity. And this is no different than normal hypostatic union talk about how Jesus manifests because remember the man part is not the God part and the God part doesn't have division at all and so the difference is that the man part is not God within a classic hypostatic union and within Servetus that the man part is God by definition of participating in the Godhead and being an outpouring of God's activity being a face of God and here he says it explicitly. He says, Christ there makes clear that he is God, not in nature, but in appearance, not by nature, but by grace. And that's how he defines persons. Different appearances are different persons. And so Christ is an appearance of God. But since Christ is man and changes and can't be the essence of God, he's not the essence part. Scrolling down, we find a criticism of Arius. For when Arius held the very foolish view that the Son was different substance from the Father, having also no appreciation at all of the glory of Christ, he introduced a new creature more exalted than man. Although he might nevertheless have exalted this and every other distinction and have admitted the Father is greater than I, but preferring to speculate upon a plurality of separate beings, he fell into the most abominable error. And so what Servetus is saying that he disagrees with Arius because Arius is creating separate beings. Jesus is not a separate being than God. He's the, he's, he is God. Uh, he's, just, he's not just like a man creature or anything like that. Scrolling down, here's how Servetus concludes this section. But this is thus far but a slight thing that you should hold a sound view about Christ until you have learned the mysteries of the word and know that this Christ himself is and from everlasting has been God. This is what he affirms time and time again. Jesus, who is Christ, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus, who is Christ, everlastingly has been God. 
He says further down, For Christ was in the Spirit of God before all time, and was in heaven, just as he also remains with us, even unto the end of the world. To Servetus, God is timeless. God is not time-bound. He does affirm the classical attribute of timelessness. Scrolling down, we get his reference to the One, and uh, he references the philosophers, but he doesn't actually want to quote them directly. He says, I should bring into the discussion all the testimonies of the Gentiles, philosophers, poets, the Sibyls, cited by Fermanius Lactinius. Uh, he says, Are those not content then with the mere name of unity, who do not acknowledge the One? And that's, that's where it's using the capital, the One, uh, the term for God used by the Neoplatonists, used by Philo of Alexandria. Uh, maybe, maybe used by early Christian fathers as well. The one in very deed, and turn aside from their artificial verbal essence to a plurality of beings. Remember, because God is one, God is unity, God is simplicity, there can't be a plurality, there can't be distinctions, there can't be parts. He's saying that these things prove that the Trinity is false, and instead, his view of Godhead, which very much looks like the Trinity, is in fact the true view. This next part I found very interesting. He goes through and he lists all the different views of Trinity and he mocks and criticizes and critiques these views. And uh, of course he, he, he proposes his own view as better. He says, let's now hear the monstrosities which this Trinity controversy has brought forth. For it will be a sufficient confutation of all the philosophers to drag them out into the light. The, Triterites, the Trinitarians, since this philosophy about three beings entered into the world, have said that there are three gods, because although they deny it with the mouth, our brethren confess it in fact. He's like, these guys really actually believe in three gods, um, uh, but they're not going to admit it. So I'm going to just have to say it for them. They're not going to say the things that they actually believe. So that's pretty funny. He says, the Arians divide the second being from the substance of the first, as being less than it. Macedonius denies that the third being is God, but says that it is subject to the Father and the Son. Remember, these are criticisms. So he's saying that he doesn't agree with the Arians. Jesus is God. He doesn't agree with Macedonius because the third being, the Spirit, is a person of God. Behold how, when a wrong foundation is once laid, men are driven out to sea utterly lost. He's saying all these people are doing all this nonsense because they, they don't have truth and grounding. Unlike me, who can't be just added to this list and then the same thing claimed. This actually goes to, and shows part of his arrogance within his writing and just, just his general ill temper or hubris. Moreover, the Athians and Enumians say that these beings are unlike. The followers of Origen rave that the Son cannot see the Father, nor the Holy Spirit the Son. Remember, in his view, these, these, these can. Maximus said that the Father is part of God, and that whichever person you please is a third party of the Trinity. The Metagenosomites said that the second being is in the first, just as a smaller vessel is contained in a larger one. Makes me think about Russian dolls. The Nestorians, uh, the Nestorians, I, this, this, this part's really great because he accuses John Calvin of Nestorianism, which, uh, yeah, the, I think those charges are accurate. The Nestorians say that Jesus is one son of God and another son of man, and this, in fact, our brethren 
confess. For it appears that in disputations of Max Ignatius, the Constantinople, Nestorius never admitted that there were two sons, but defended himself by certain sophistical tricks quite in a manner of men today. This is the view of Calvin. He's saying, basically, the Nestorians give the same arguments of Calvin and company, and uh, they're all Nestorians, and they're all heretics, and they, they all create a second being, and, and they deny that Jesus is God. Read what is said there, and you'll clearly see that these are Nestorians. He's saying the Nestorians use the same argument as people today. The Eutelicians asserted that the only nature in Christ is a divine one, as though it were a phantom fallen from heaven, as the Marcionites said. The Monarchians, such as Praxis and Victorinus, said that Jesus Christ was God and the Father Almighty, that he sat at his own right hand. And after them, the Sibylians confused the person and names of Christ the Father, also called Patripassians, Patripassians, since they believed that the Father suffered. Remember, in his view, God does not suffer. God cannot suffer. God can't feel. God can't have passions. That Algari, not understanding the mystery of the word, said that John lied when he said that the word was God. Very recently, the Dectrinal relates Jacom was arguing against the master that there was a quaternity in the divine beings. So there might even be a quaternity according to some of some of these individuals. Interesting. So here's part of his critique where he actually agrees. He, he quotes Jockham. He says, Hence Jockham admitted that the three beings are not a substance, nor an essence, nor a nature, but they are said to be one in a collective sense, just as many men are one people. He was certainly right in arguing for a fourth appearance, though he drew his conclusion stupidly. He's like, he came to the right conclusion, but he had a lot of stupid arguments. Moving on to book two, I think it would be helpful to kind of just read over some of these arguments as well, just to reinforce his views about who Jesus the Christ was. He says, Christ, the son of man who is descended from heaven, was the word by uttering which God created the world. He became flesh as God's firstborn and was the son of God. He was both human and divine. God's spirit, moving all things, operates within us as the Holy Spirit, which is a person of the Godhead. It proceeds from the Son, not as a separate being, but as a ministering spirit. It is holy, one of three persons in the Godhead, and sanctifies us by dwelling within us. Sounds very Trinitarian. Moving forward... Christ, the Son of Man, ascended into heaven, and we are in heaven when we believe that he is the Son of God. Christ, the Son of Man, came down from heaven. One who sees Christ sees the Father through him. The word which was in the beginning was simply the utterance which God gave when first creating the world. So the word is co-eternal with God and is an utterance or outpouring or activity of God. Christ was thus the voice of God became flesh and entrusted with the function of speaking for God. It was the word originally with God, not a second being that became flesh. Keep this in mind that the second person of the tri-person Godhead, which we can't call a trinity, um, that's not a separate being. All things were made through the word, not through a being. It is Christ, not a being, that was the firstborn and born of flesh as Christ and the anti-Nicene writers taught. The expression firstborn has no reference to time, since to God all time is one. So we kind of get the idea. Servetus uh, disclaims hypostatic union. He disclaims the word Trinity. But for all function and purposes, he is a Trinitarian. 
believes in three persons in one Godhead, that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is not a separate being than God, Jesus is a manifestation of God, and Jesus is, is God. The Holy Spirit also is an activity of God, which is God, is a person of God, and also the same with Jesus. So there's three persons in one Godhead, and he affirms the normal Platonic Godhead essence, which has all our classical attributes, divine simplicity, immutability, timelessness, divine simplicity, unity, as he uses it here. So I think we get the idea that this book can be Googled quite easily. You're able to pick up a copy and read through it if you care about it. Just read through the synopsises if you want to put yourself through a lot of pain. A lot of quibbling, a lot of uh, attacking people, a lot of uh, very, very firm statements that, oh, I'm right and my enemies are wrong and, and very little, very little understanding or leeway. It's his way or the highway. And you could definitely see why his character conflicted with Calvin, who was similarly a megalomaniac, but also had power. We could see why Calvin killed him killed him for his beliefs. Anyways, questions or comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook group. If you've read the book God is Open on Amazon, leave a review. I would appreciate it. Thanks for listening.